Welcome to the Yogi MD Podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Do you want to have a full and more vibrant life? Then don't neglect a single part of your health. Taking care of yourself responsibly means balancing your social, emotional, mental, physical, intellectual, and spiritual health. It's a multidimensional, more comprehensive, and more rewarding approach. I hope you've enjoyed and learned ways to improve your social, emotional, and mental health so far. But now it's time to nurture our physical health. All of my guests compel you to care for your body so that you don't just survive, but thrive. Former two-time Olympian, Bayano Kamani. Instead of asking someone for an extrinsic value on why you should do something, you should have a starting point with your first why. Start there, and along the way, you'll collect other reasons for doing it so that no matter what situation presents itself, you will still have a why for getting out of the door. Sleep physician and psychiatrist, Dr. Kara Uli. When things get so off with their sleep, that actually restricts their freedom. And a lot of the teens that I'm meeting with, they're so exhausted that they're just locked into that and they don't have freedom and they can't explore because they're so tired and it erodes their relationships. Treatment for teens and is very different from adults. It's about allowing them to have good enough sleep such that they can function and then they can do what they are supposed to do as teens, which is to figure out what they want. Healthy aging expert and nutritionist, Annie Goudreau. My value is that I want to age with strength and be able to have the most quality of life for the longest amount of time. That's my driver. You have to have an intimate relationship with yourself first and foremost. Never mind your husband or your wife or partner or whatever. It starts here. And founder of Yoga for Arthritis, Dr. Stephanie Munaz. Pain deteriorates gray matter in the brain. Meditation builds gray matter in the brain. And so you can think of, and especially because it's in similar regions, you could say that Meditation is an antidote for the effects of chronic pain on the brain. If you are curious about becoming a physically healthy human being, you'll be happy you took the time to listen. Today we have healthy aging expert and nutritionist, Annie Goudreau. One of the things that yoga has taught me is how easy it is to live without really feeling connected to our bodies. I know I did it for a long time until something happens. There's pain or there's an emergency where you have to address it by going to your doctor. So I would really like to talk to you today about really and truly occupying our bodies and paying attention and taking really good care of ourselves before it becomes an emergency or 
even before it becomes an afterthought. I have so many students in my yoga classes who say that they have achy shoulders, they have frequent headaches, they have uh, achy backs. I would love to start with how we treat our bodies how by how what we feed our bodies. Oh, what a beautiful beginning. I love it. I love the fact that you start with basically the concept that at every moment of the day in our lives, that our bodies are receiving messages. They're transmitting. And we either have our ears and eyes open or we don't. Right? Remember how many times in our lives we go from point A from, to point B in the car, for example, and we go, we get there and we go, oh my God, I did not notice one thing. Mm-hmm. I was just so focused on the after. There was no, in the moment, I did not notice any tree. I did not notice any cars. I did not notice a beautiful building. Um, we are not present. It's the same with our bodies. And so we're starting with food and it's a very big one because food being the number one ingredient for us to be able to, you know, function, right? It is definitely number one element. But, you know, we've all heard of this concept of intuitive eating. Yes. And I got to tell you, I'm the least woo-woo person you will ever meet. I am 100% science-based. But what it means to be intuitive, and and it can turn off some people. So I want to be very clear that what it really means is that every day your body's telling you from how you are feeding yourself, what's working for you and what's not working for you. Every day, your body tells you differently. It could be a headache. You talked about that. It could be discomfort. Ooh, this does not quite feel right. And you're not really sure, but it's Mm. somewhere in the vicinity of you know, of your abdomen, mm-hmm. right? I can't pinpoint exactly where, but mm, it's not feeling right. The other things I also like to talk about is every opportunity for your body to have other energy or to actually deplete. So some foods, right? Some foods give you energy. And I always call it, it, it either tops your fuel tank or it depletes your fuel tank. Funny enough, because you would think, well, I'm eating, that means I'm topping. And I go, no, some foods drain you. So that whole notion of being connected to your body with food is to pay attention. Pay attention to how your body is responding, because it is giving you the message every single time, whether you're listening or not. The message is there. So what's a practical example of something that you found in working with your own clients, a general category that is a, an energizing food or category of foods versus depleting? Oh, very simply, anything that would be, you know, good vegetables and, you know, some fish or a protein source, legumes will give you energy. Now, if I load up my plate with starchy carbs, like potatoes, like enormous amount of pasta, lots and lots and lots of bread, fried foods, I will completely drain my energy. 
I like to do analogies with cars because usually people get it, but literally it would be taking your car and then getting into like, you know, riding in the sand. It'd be like, it really comes to a stall. So fried foods, complex carbs are very well known for just completely depleting you. Funny enough, also all our little addictions to sugar also do that. What I heard in your answer previously, too, is that we are individuals and we need to pay attention to our individual cues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, great question. Because we're all looking for that uh, one size fits all thing, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard that. That's the solution. That's, That's the diet. That is the thing that will you know, give me the vitality and also make sure that I don't gain weight. And a lot of people are also, let's be honest, are looking for, you know, solutions to perhaps a few extra pounds. So we're all looking for that magic bullet. And while there are some guiding principles that are pretty universal, we are all different. And our culture, our backgrounds, the geography where we were born, even as you know, being a doctor, you know, our mother's gut is the one that will determine our gut. We all react differently. So when people say, well, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go vegan because that's, that's the thing to do. And it's a responsible thing for the environment. And I personally have nothing against that. But I also say, okay, now if you are going to explore this, make sure that you are listening to what your body is saying. Because for some people, it's a beautiful, smooth transition. For some people, it's very, very difficult and they don't have energy and they are really not doing well with it. So there is something important about experimenting, but I always say be curious and then listen for the response. Explore and then see how your body does with that. And what I'm also hearing is that that takes time. Mm, yes. And we are an impatient culture in North America. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a challenge because people want quick fixes. Mm-hmm. I read everywhere. That's the thing to do. I'm just going to go on it. Boom. And there is no, is this right for me? And don't forget that your needs at 20, at 30, at 40, at 50, change. So sometimes some of the problems that we're experiencing with food is that we have not adjusted. I used to be an endurance athlete and my nutritional needs were significantly different back then. I was my 30s, I was in my 40s, now I'm in my 50s. And while I am still active, I don't train 30 hours a week anymore, right? So my needs are also very different. And I'm a menopausal woman. So my needs, again, are different, right? So, so paying attention to what is going on. You're also getting to this extremely salient point, which is our needs evolve nutritionally too at different stages of our lives, especially as women. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Oh my God, this is, this is really juicy. <laughs> this is really juicy because I think that There is so much that goes on with women at midlife. Hormonal changes trigger a cascade of reactions. 
So while we think, oh, well, okay, you know, it's just estrogens dropped, you know, end of the story, you know, my life will go on. You have to go, hmm, you know, actually, there's a lot more that is actually going on in your body that is triggering this. So one of the number one things that I see, actually, and this is a, we could do a whole podcast about this, Nadine, mm-hmm. is this whole misconception that what you eat is what you absorb. And I often have to say to people, I don't care what you're telling me is in your journal. What I see in your nutritional assessment is that there are some serious serious gaps. And that's because you are not absorbing because you are not digesting your food. And this comes a lot, I would say, you know, 45 on because the gastric juices are are, are diminishing. So in, you know, make it very plain is the food arrives in the stomach and it just does not get broken down because there's less, um, there are less gastric juices there's a cascade ripple effect of, you know, discomfort. So whereas normally, you know, 10 years ago, this was not an issue. The same food is impacting you. So I see a lot of women not being, um, not having enough protein. So they're feeling tired. Yes, maybe because a little bit of the sleep has been, the pattern has been disturbed by, you know, hormonal, uh, still a lot of fluctuation with the hormones. So while they're experiencing, for example, acid reflux, as you know, is a huge problem. I deal with that with a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they are taking drugs that are not helping solve the problem and often misdiagnosed as, you know, you have too much acid. Well, the reality is actually the opposite. I see so much need around educating people that very simply you can stimulate you know, the production of gastric juices, or we can supplement super easily with that. And it solves the problem and people start digesting properly again. Past the age of 45, we need to increase the level of protein. And women have been shy to eat protein, regardless of your philosophical preferences around eating. Your protein needs have gone up, yet you have not adjusted so basically, any type of, of protein, whether it's um, animal source, so whether people are eating chicken, beef, lamb, you know, organ meats, or they are into fish, I'm a very big proponent of cold water fish. The small, smaller, the better, by the way, because it has less exposure to mercury. So you know, trout and salmon, sardines, haddock, um, extremely good sources of. Um, of fish and our, our vegetarian sources, right? So we are looking at uh, legumes, legumes mixed with some other, you know, for example, rice or quinoa, very good sources of protein. I'm a big fan, regardless of your, uh, your preferences, to have a lot of variety. Variety is what makes the body very, very exposed to different minerals, different qualities of protein. And, and vitamins as well. Sometimes research is saying that activity is more important than what you're eating in terms of maintaining your weight. And then times change and studies say, no, it's the diet that's more meaningful. What you're putting in your mouth makes more of an impact. So what do you think about that? 
Mm. Oh, that's a good one. I still believe that nutrition plays a greater role mm. in in the BMI conversation. However, my prescription number one is always to women move more. Just use your body more. So we talk, you know, you started the conversation today with this whole connection. Everything is connected. Yes, it's important for burning calories, of course. But more importantly, in my opinion, it is a key determinant for mental and emotional health mm. because activity mm. triggers hormones, mm-hmm. feel-good mm-hmm. hormones. In all of the longevity studies, they never say it's the people that were on the Bowflex or the Jane Fonda program that lived the longest. It's the people that used their body in a natural, organic way every day. So think about centenarians that still carry their grocery bags. They go up and down hills. They go up and down stairs. Here, what do we do in North America? We remove all of that. We say, don't move. We're going to do everything for you. And you should definitely not have stairs to go up and down. We actually remove the ability for people to naturally stay active. We say, oh, because you're getting old, you will be frail. And we don't want you to hurt yourself. It's actually the opposite. Moving keeps you strong. Mm -hmm. Moving your body keeps you mentally, emotionally, and physically in good health. So, you know, here's the thing, though. We know this information. We are bombarded (laughs) with this information. It's difficult to implement it. I think this is a good segue for your story, because I was really inspired by how you describe connecting with your own body through the discovery of activity because you started running later on in life. Sure, because I started running not because I thought, oh my God, look at me, you know, I'm a tall, lanky person. I am 5'10 and so on. And it, it was not like, oh my God, you know, I'm made for this. Not at all. I started running because I was an uber stressed out, you know, executive. Hmm. And, and running is the only thing that you can do. Well, I thought at the moment, you know, 12, 12 months a year, I can step out of my home. I don't need a schedule. I don't need to be part of a gym. I don't need to make a certain time at the gym. So what was working for me is the fact that I had flexibility of time. I could do it whenever it worked for my schedule because I was working all these insane hours. And I got a little bit of the bug Um, because it was such a nice thrill to finish a race and I was doing, you know, half marathons. And when I signed up for the bigger event, which was the marathon at the time, that's when you start to spend a lot of time with your own mind. Hmm. (laughs) It was totally a coming to Jesus moment for me. It was a deeply spiritual time because I had never truly spent time with myself listening to my thoughts. I had not, I know it sounds crazy, but I had been in doing mode Mm. my whole life. What do I need to do? What are the grades that I need to get? And then what's the job that I need to get? And then what's the clients and what are my goals? And what are the, you know, what's the money and the treadmill, right? Yes. So I, I believe that listeners will be relating to that. Many people will be relating to that. So I had not spent any time figuring out 
who I was. So when I started running, if you had asked me, what are your values? What do you stand for? What do you believe in the world? I would have been like, what? (laughs) I would have had no idea. I would have been like, well, I'm just like everybody else. I had no idea who I was. This is scary because I'm like late 30s. This is a little bit of what happens with a little bit of endurance events. You know, you get you 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 get the bug. And I did one marathon after the other. So all year round, almost, I was training and spending a lot of time. I really discovered who I was because I had a lot of dark moments. When you are on a run and it's 30 degrees Celsius, so, you know, 80 degree Fahrenheit, and you have to do all your training and it's hot and it's awful and you're feeling tired, you get, you know, the dark clouds move in. Those dark clouds are indicative of your own go-tos, right? Mm. Your own demons. Mm-hmm. So I, you go like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'm stupid. If you start to listen to what actually those voices are telling you, they're indicative of what your weaknesses are, what your belief system is, what you've been told your whole life. You're no good. Why did you even think that you could do this? Mm. I remember actually failing to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And that was a big goal for me. And I, and I failed by a couple minutes. And I cried and I cried. And it was all the old stuff coming in I finally understood oh my god this stuff has been playing in the background for all those years and I never even knew about it it was a discovery it was like opening the kimono and it was like oh my god it's not all nice in here people mm. there's a lot of things that are not positive they're not the things that are that are helping me they're not the things that are actually making making me a better human being in this world Okay, I can so relate to your story. Through martial arts and training to achieve my black belt, I had similar demons to contend Mm. with. Because this is, it's funny, you know, you're talking about these 30s. I was in my late 30s too. Just overachieving and never really stopping to figure out clarity around my values and and who I truly was. I couldn't answer those questions either. They were all very external. Well, I'm a mother and I'm a doctor and I'm a this and I'm a that. And everything looks great on the outside. Do you think that these types of connections, the true connections with your body can be achieved without it having to become a crisis? Do we have to have, as women, these come-to-Jesus moments where it's do or die, where we have to figure out who we really are because we are in crisis mode? My gut says no. You don't have to necessarily go into crisis mode. But I think there needs to be a trigger. And I don't believe that all triggers need to be labeled as crisis. Because otherwise... We are on automatic pilot. That's why meditation, I think, is so powerful right now. It is all about being in the moment and 
witnessing the thoughts, right? Witnessing the thoughts, just like as, as clouds would go by. So, you know, you don't need to necessarily get cancer, but sometimes it's like you, you read a book and it shakes you up and you go, wow, this could have happened to me if I hadn't done this, right? So there could be triggers of awareness that are not necessarily a crisis. I, I always say like the, the body starts with a little tap, gentle tap on the hand, and then, and then eventually it whacks you a little bit and then you still dismiss it. And eventually there's a two by four on the side of your head and you go, I cannot believe what just happened to me. And why is this so strong? Well, because little triggers were small, small, small and become big. For some people, they listen when there's a trigger. We have these opportunities to be in our bodies and really take care of ourselves beyond a superficial New Year's resolution or, okay, now my dress doesn't fit, so now I have to start a new diet or start a new exercise regime. I guess what I'm getting at is we're individuals who need to show ourselves some compassion and we need to figure out what that means in order to really, truly take good care of ourselves beyond numbers. Because it's not fun. Who wants to grab a journal and write down every single thing she's eating and jump on a scale every day? Where's the meaning in that? That's what I heard from, from what you were talking about. There's more meaning. There's a deeper level of self-care. And then the numbers follow. I'm not saying that they're not important, but they're not the primary driver. And it's never, never, never fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's never, never fulfilling. So you are never happy. You always want more pie. I don't really look at the mm. number. Mm. But my value is that I want to age with strength and be able to have the most quality of life for the longest amount of time. That's my driver. My weight fluctuates like everybody else and normal human being, mm -hmm. but it, you know, not by massive amounts, but I'm always deeply aligned that activity moving my body is critical for my well-being. A number is like a bonbon, right? Like it's sweet, nice, but it's gone, you know, after 10 seconds. There is nothing deeply fulfilling about it. So you're 100% right. It really, the more you know yourself and the greater your values are ingrained, your actions are so easy to follow. That's why a New Year's resolution without the values being very clear in your actions following in a logical way, in a respectful way. You know, that's why some people are very successful at these things and some people are not. When it's disconnected, of course you drop it because it is going to be hard. There is nothing fun about putting your shoelace, your, 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 your running shoes and lacing up when it is minus 10 outside, I am not going to lie. But I still do it because I go, this is bigger than a being cold for 10 minutes. This vision of health is way bigger 
than a temporary discomfort. Mm. So that that is the way that I look at it. Mm. Mm. It's a compass. Those values, those core values, they're your guide. You can always come back to that. I'm doing this because of X, Y, or Z. It's an invitation, I hear. I hear an invitation here to the women listening who might be struggling with external motivators to take a deep dive and find what's really meaningful so that you can work from the inside out rather than the outside in and figure out furthermore what that means for you. Because looking to someone else, like my daughters and my mother and my sister, they like different things than I do. But I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to try to be like they are. I can find inspiration. And that's the other thing. Yes. That's that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. You know, as I was listening to you talk about running marathons, and I have a sister-in-law who's run Ironman, and she's done all kinds of extreme sports. And I go, there's a part of me, I'm not going to lie, that says, oh, gosh, I'm not doing enough, or I should be more like that. But then there's another part of me that goes, well, I can find inspiration in that, and I can admire and be happy for, but I don't have to do that thing to find my worth or to be valuable. I don't have to compete. Oh, I love what you just said. You have to pull inspiration from others. You know, again, I I started to talk at the beginning about, you know, your, your, your batteries, you know, food, other making your batteries or having more energy or being depleted. Inspiration fills your batteries. Yes. Right. It fills your battery and then you go, Oh my God. You know, when I lack a little like, I will go to somebody that I deeply respect and um, I will watch a video of them when they speak about a certain topic, I get fueled or I will read, you know, a passage Mm-hmm. by them mm-hmm. and then I and it's not to become them but I go oh now okay I'm you know I'm filled and now I've, I've got what it takes and I'm going to tackle what I need to tackle based on my values and my goals it's not about comparing myself to them it's about getting that beautiful inspiration that energy that now allows you to fulfill your mission there's no one size fits all Yes. You said at the top of the hour. Yes. And it's hard for people because it means you got to do the work. You got to do the work mm-hmm. to determine what it is that you need. Well, you have six pillars that you talk about for health. And the third one I want to address is environment and emotions. Mm, yes. Ooh, it's a big <laughs> one. And and it it's interesting, you know, in those six pillars of healthy aging, as I've called them, environmental and emotional health is something that people are always surprised that I will talk about. People have goals or make goals. And what they lack is our systems. Hmm. And I will really repeat it again, because I want people to understand this. Most of the time, people don't lack valid goals 
they lack proper systems to reach those goals. Mm -hmm. And environmental, emotional health either will allow these systems to live or they will basically um, deter. So let's start with environmental health. So what does that mean? Well, there's two components to that. First of all is literally environment as in nature. So we know from science that nature, spending time in nature heals. It decreases cortisol levels. We know from the Japanese you know, studies around um, spending time in, you know, in nature, they, they even have a, a, a word for it. Um, it will come back to me. I'm not quite fluent in Japanese, um, but they prescribe time in nature there to decrease uh, blood pressure. So all of the markers of stress are um, well attended by spending time in nature. It fosters positivity. It also is great for problem solving. So whenever <laughs> this is a tip for somebody who's trying to problem solve and is stuck, go spend a little bit of time in a park, you know, come back and the juices will, will be flowing. The other side of it is your, your environment, your home. Think about it. Uh, is your environment at home set up to support your goals? So uh, one that I like to use is when I was training for Ironman, I had, um, you know, it's three different sports. So it gets quite chaotic with all the, all the stuff. And I had set up my lobby just before I would get out of the house to have three bins of, for each of my sports. Everything was organized so that it would have to think about it. My, you know, my helmet and my bike gloves and my bottle and my shoes, everything was ready to go. And the little maintenance that I needed for the bike, everything was in one basket, organized neatly by the door, right? I had... I had basically created my environment to support my goal, right? And I know that it, it might sound oversimplistic, but if you think about healthy eating, is your kitchen set up to help you eat healthy, right? Do you have the tools organized? Do you have a pantry that actually has healthy food organized simply? Because it is hard day to day to do all of that. I'm the first one to admit it, right? So have you set up your environment to facilitate things? You know, it's interesting you say that because it's something that I worked with, organizing the kitchen such that the tools that I need are readily available and I reduce clutter. It's so easy to order online this yes. gadget or that gadget. Are you going to use it? And if you're if it's not going to be a practical thing that's useful to you that you use on a regular basis, then it's clutter. It's taking up some room and we may not think of it that way, but you go in the kitchen and you open up a drawer and it is a little bit agitating to have to dig for a simple spatula. So why not just have the things that are most useful 
easy to grab. That's what I'm hearing from what you're saying. Make your environment convenient so that you don't feel a level of stress already when you're walking into that room to go address something. Maybe that you may not feel like doing or necessarily like all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the author James Clear, uh, he wrote mm-hmm. Atomic Habits, yeah. right? Very well known. Um, I loved how he, he talked about that concept as in removing the barriers, remove the barriers so that it's easy for you to have those healthy, healthy habits or be organized. I always say, if you are living in an environment that is cluttered, it's because you are refusing to be clear about your goals. And you are not wanting to see the truth. That is what's happening. Mm. So you use the clutter as your excuse for not getting the things that you want to get done because you are afraid. And it is very real. We all have that. We all have that. So I always invite people to look at what are the areas of your life in your home that are not organized to support you. And then whatever you, whatever it is, you go, well, that's your answer. Let's say my garage is filled with things that my children used 20 years ago. Right. And we've never, I've asked my kids to come and grab what they wanted and, you know, they never do and all that. So what is in that? What are you avoiding yourself? It is a wonderful way for us to actually get the answers that we need so that we can move on. Because otherwise, think about your batteries again. This steals energy from you. Mm-hmm. Every time you said, you know, you have to look for that spatula. Every time that you open the cupboard, every time that you open the garage door, every time that you look into that closet, mm-hmm. it steals energy from you. Yes, You know, there's this strong tie to this identity of a mother and nostalgia and wanting to honor those years. Or what I found some people do is that they have an aging parent and they have boxes. My mother passed away a few years ago, but they're her things and I don't want to get rid of her things because they were my, they remind me of my mom. Absolutely. And what people don't realize is that this is stealing precious energy from today. It's stealing precious energy from being able to have the health that you need. It's actually holding you back. It's putting weight on you. So that's why the environmental health is so important. It's so sneaky. It is so sneaky. And it's usually one that clients bark a little bit because they go, yeah, resistance. What does that have to do with my health and, yeah. you know, your nutritionist and wellness coach? What does, what does that, my garage have to do with it? And then once we do the exercise and I always say, like, let's start with something small. So let's start with a tiny little closet somewhere. And then let's, let's look at how now you feel about it. And everyone always has this massive aha where they go, I had no idea what this was doing. I had no idea what burden this was on me. So that's why environmental health is so critical to health. Hmm. Huge. Having multiple dress sizes in the closet. I know you've seen that too before. You know, mm, I used yeah. to be this size, but I want to be this size now. So I have three different dress sizes. Hopefully one day I'll get back down to this. You're putting all this pressure on yourself. You need to have the environment support you. 
explain. Some of those decisions are hard. And it gets at this another idea, which is you can't just take something away because it leaves a void. So if you remove something that was a barrier, what are you going to replace that thing with? What healthy habit are you going to implement there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing what matters to you. What do you need to build personally? Music, arts, craft, community, giving back, spirituality, whatever the dimension. Fill it with the things that fill your cup, not deplete your cup. Love it. And that's how the emotional health is tied to, right? Because that pillar is too prone because, you know, the biggest predictor of obesity is other obese people around you. Hmm. That is the biggest predictor that is scientifically mm. measured because who is around you deeply influences you. People either are supporting you in your, you know, in your pursuits of your goals or supporting your values or they take away and there is nothing neutral. And this is something that is difficult to understand, but there is nothing like, Oh, that person is just no, if it's not contributing, it's actually taking away. There's a woman years ago that I heard in a conference. She was in her late eighties. Um, she owned a very prestigious spa somewhere in Nevada or one of those beautiful, you know, New Mexico places. And she used the expression that every year she would prune the tree of her life. She looked at what, what was in her life, who was in her life. And just like we need to prune trees to make them stronger and give them a, a stronger root system, she did that with her own life. And this is not a malicious pursuit. This is not to say that person is bad or that person is good. This is not at all that pursuit. This is about an honest recognition of where we are. We talked about how our needs change in life. Mm -hmm. Well, you change as an individual. And sometimes who is around us and what is around us is no longer serving us. So it's about establishing what do we need to prune it is no different in, 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 than a family saying, oh, my God, you know, we had a 2,000 square foot home when we had two daughters and they're now moved on. We now need to look at what our needs are. Does it even make sense to live in this neighborhood now? Or maybe we want to grow in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment where we, where, well, we have more free time. Therefore, we want to be able to go fish or this and that. Maybe we need to even change location. So it's about realizing that. Sometimes things no, no longer serve us, but it's not about saying that they're bad. It's just, this is no longer serving us. So my invitation for the audience today is look in your life every year, do this process. This woman was actually saying that she does this diligently in January every year as an exercise. I just thought there was so much wisdom in that process. 
Yes, there is. It's scary, I it know. Is. I it know. Is. And especially when you start to bring other people into it. So oh, if yeah. you're a married person or you have a family or you have a circle of friends and maybe someone in that circle is no longer working. They're not working for you, but for the other people in your circle of friends, they're not feeling that way. So I love that you brought that up because that's not something that people think about as clutter. The people in our lives can also be clutter. Absolutely. And again, it will influence your health, right? I always go back for me as to how is this influencing your physical health, your emotional health, and your mental health. Mm -hmm. Do you have a question for me? I would love to know from your perspective, you saw sick people in your life. Why is it that regardless of the fact that we know better, we don't do better? Annie, what I believe is what you said before. It goes back to doing the hard work. It is not fun to pick up the mirror. The hard work of taking into account all of these different aspects of your life. It's not a simplistic formula. If I weigh this much, then I'm good. But there's more to it than that. So if you're not attending to the different pillars of health that you mentioned, the different dimensions of health that I've been exploring with my own podcast, these things all influence your overall well-being. And it is hard work. The simple thing that you just mentioned, the emotional. If a person makes me sweat on a regular basis... I know I I shouldn't be spending time with that person. And I have found that to be true during my life. I know it sounds strange, but that person is stressing me out to the point that I am having an actual sweat response. The courage as women to say no to things, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. So we could execute. do a whole podcast on this whole Absolutely. pleasing thing. Absolutely. So being able to execute and really advocate for yourself while also balancing being compassionate, doing things that you don't feel like doing. I think those things all deter people from really, really digging in, taking good care of themselves. Yep. So what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? You know, there is this whole concept of the body's always looking for balance, you know, homeostasis. I know that I'm in a good place when I am really at peace. So and what it means to be at peace for me is, am I living according to my values? Am I doing my best? Am I eating my best? And there's a big difference between being perfect here. Am I doing my best based on today? And when my answer is yes to that, then I am in a healthy place. Thank you very much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you and learn from you. Thank you for having me. It's so, so, so wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that for your audience, this is, you know, there's been some good nugget of wisdom in here. And we can find you at? So very easily, just go to my website, which is vive.ca. That's V as in Victor. E-E-V dot C-A. 
and all my contact information is there, social media, all the 21st century contact information. (laughs) And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. Annie says that her driver, her value, is that she wants to age with strength to be able to have the most quality of life for the longest amount of time. This is why she exercises, and this is why she eats well. What's your driver for taking good care of yourself? Dear wise women, thank you for growing our community. Keep using your wisdom and emotional intelligence to share this episode with someone in your social circle who will benefit from hearing it. Your grandma and your mom need yoga. Maybe you need yoga too. I teach yoga to wise women. I believe in empowering and educating wise women to thrive on their terms at every stage of life. Let's hear what a wise woman has to say. I'm a worrier. It's a little much, I think. And yoga always calmed me down. You know, it gave me a, a positive focus. This, everything's going to be okay. Uh, it's just really been like a centerpiece in my life, and I didn't have that until virtual yoga. To learn more, connect with me at yogimd.net. And finally, podcast theme music is by my niece, Maya Bishop, on vocals. My daughter, Lizzie Kelly, on guitar and bass. Yours truly, on percussion. And produced by Tim Buer. Thanks for being here. See you next time.